This episode is brought to you by Left of Boom. We empower leaders to respond to crisis proactively and with confidence. In this episode of Crisis Talks, we talk with Steve Bell, who is the Crisis Management and Workplace Health and Safety Partner for Herbert Smith Freehills in Melbourne. Steve's insights on crisis response challenge the legal archetypes and break down some of the common misperceptions about the primacy of legal response during the crisis. His points about empathy, values and pace when making decisions in the heat of the moment are extremely refreshing and demonstrate his experience advising organisations affected by crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, today I've got the pleasure of speaking with Steve Bell, who's a specialist in crisis management and is a partner at Herbert Smith Freehills. Can you tell everyone a bit about what you do, Steve, and, and what your sort of role is with HSF? Great, can do, Grant. Thanks very much. And hi, uh, everyone. Thanks for listening in. So my name is Steve Bell. I'm a, I'm a partner here at law firm at Herbert Smith Freehills, a firm that used to be known as Freehills a, a little while ago, just an Australian firm, but now a, a sort of global uh, law firm uh, with offices all over the world. I, I lose track of where we are on the map. <laughs> my business, I've been here for uh, nearly 17 years now. My, my part of the uh, law firm's practice is helping our clients deal with work health and safety. In the, in the Australian context, that means dealing with a really you know, heavily regulated environment. There are health and safety regulators that crop up every couple of years. Uh, WorkSafe, you know, the core health and safety regulator in every state and territory, we keep adding others. You know, recently we've we've created a, a new regulator regulating national heavy vehicles across Australia, moving moving things up and down our major highways. Um, and so I help our clients with that, understanding what you know what the laws are about, what, what they're trying to achieve, how that fits with their corporate vision, their corporate strategy for safety. Uh, but then dealing on the other end as well when things go wrong, uh, helping helping our clients understand what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to react, how it is they manage their way through what can often be a really long process. Well, uh, we talk about left of boom being what you can do to prevent an incident from occurring, yeah, staying right. ahead of anything going off. What is the sort of work that you're doing in that space to prevent or prepare for any major incidents? Yeah, right. Well, I suppose, I mean, the starting point is you, you never deal with a health and safety lawyer on the right of boom if you're, if you're managing safety, right? And so the, the core of getting crisis management right in the health and safety space is not to have crises, of course. Uh, everyone would say that. But there's other things you can do to, to say it is it is imaginable. Um, if, for example, you're a, you're a government agency developing a major infrastructure project somewhere in, in you know one of the eastern states, it's it's to be anticipated that there's likely to be a serious incident on, on that project. So what do you yep. do? What do you do in advance? Mm. Well, I reckon you get your thinking straight about who you're going to have to deal with when things go wrong. What is your communications plan? Mm. And some of the clients we do a list of stakeholders. Yep. Who, who might you have to deal with? Yep. Um, we, we, we work out and we, and we do a bit of scenario planning for, for crisis management, which is always quite useful, but to be frank, the scenario you dream up is nothing like the complexity of what actually happens in real life, but nevertheless, I'm all for, I'm all for planning. Uh, and then you put a bit of thinking in about who's going to take accountability for what, so just the usual crisis management plan stuff. Um, these things are always foreseeable, I think. Yeah, right. Um, and the, you know, there are a few black swan events that we'll talk about, no doubt, but I think most of the time we've found that these things have been pretty foreseeable. Has that been your sort of understanding as well? Has been what you've seen over the journeys generally been what has been perceived? Yeah, right. Look, that's really interesting. I, I, I like that because I, I never thought of it that way. 
I suppose the position is this, on a macro view, on a whole of economy point of view, yeah, t- terrible things are going to happen. Yeah. For workers, for members of the public, for others. For businesses, you know, my clients, my clients are full of people, they go to work on a Tuesday morning, it's, it's not foreseeable for them that they will be thrust into something that was unanticipated. So I guess on the macro level, that's right. Mm-hmm. You should have enough data set to get a sense of what a business like yours might face. But I should say, no matter how much prep we put in, for those clients of mine that feel you know, that they're fully prepared uh, when something bad happens, I do think it comes like a thunderclap. They it does. Just, they never anticipate it. Yeah, know? I couldn't agree more. Bit of a, use the analogy, it's like a punch in the nose. Everything sort of goes blurry, you have that Correct. sort of chaos. You've got Correct. to sort of, you know, have that muscle memory to take you through. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's a lot of the work you do around them, uh, with them, so scenario planning and the exercises themselves. Yeah, a, l- a little bit. Um, I guess one of my reflections, is that, so we, uh, Herbert Smith Freehills, big law firm, we do with lots of big, you know, institutional sort of corporate clients and government agencies and other things, but our clients tend to be big. What my experience of the planning is the planning, the group that does the planning is often not at the epicentre of what has to happen. Yeah. Uh, the, the group that does the planning might be the, the health and safety team or the, or the risk team. The, the truth, though, is what actually happens is you have a, a have you ever seen eight-year-olds play footy? They throw the ball down and they come from all quarters, right? And, and suddenly the, the board is as interested as the executive team, as are the general managers, as are the HR team. And, and it's, it's interesting to me, those who do a lot of planning for crisis management, are at the table, but suddenly it's, it's a crowded table. Yes. Uh, and, and, and having those who've got the skill set uh, broadly across the organisation, I'm not sure great organisations or many organisations are really getting that right about thinking who's going to turn up on the day we mm. have a, a, a fatality at work, a terrible thing that happens, you know, a tragedy. Who's going to be who's going to be there at the table? And the answer will be everyone will want to be there at the table because everyone's yeah. interested. Yeah. The, the difficulty that we see, though, is getting those teams together or doing the multi-layer yeah. activities. Have you found that same sort of challenge? Uh, yeah, I think with? it's difficult. I think it's difficult to find the time. And, mm. and um, as I say, I, I anticipate those that actually get involved in crisis response don't don't think they will uh, until they're called upon. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly their views are important to them. That they, they want to share those views. They want to help set the priorities. They want to be involved. Uh, and you know, crises, I deal with workplace crises. You know, we were chatting before we, we, we started recording, but I've dealt with things that are completely out of left field. Members of the public getting killed on a, yeah. on a construction site in completely unimaginable ways. Uh, businesses that have had serious workplace incidents and circumstances where they thought they had that risk sorted. You know, things that completely come out of left field. And I suppose for those organisations, getting them to genuinely think through, if this happens, black swan it is for them, mm. not globally, um, who, who's going to turn up? And then planning for crisis around that. I reckon that's a real that's a real opportunity for lots of businesses, to be honest. Yeah, it is, and and I think you know it, we can also work out a bit of a playbook in most circumstances. Anyway, yeah. you mentioned before about the stakeholders that do become involved. Yeah, and we can pretty well identify those and have them as a checklist at this front end, and we can have um, the other sort of notifications that need to be performed pretty readily for the regulators, etc. There. Yeah, that's right. Um, but equally, I think then rolling back into what are the statements you're going to make, how you're going to actually work through and notify family members in the case of an incident sure. or injury versus how you're going to notify them in the case of a fatality yeah. um, are all sort of practices that you can build, I think, when you're yeah. working through. Mm. What do you see as a better prepared organisations, the ones that you've seen generally that are, that are better engaged in this process and what's the sort of attributes you'll generally see with them? Yeah, right. Well, certainly uh, organisations that do this well have, have clarity about who will be in the room mm. uh, when, when, there's a, when there's a need to gather uh, the, the, the relevant brains in the business to, to steer through this. They've got a view as to who, 
what support they need from media and, and comms, what support they need from HR, what support they need from, you know, in my world, health and safety or regulatory, the legal team, the board members, the executives, the CEOs, COOs, etc. Those are the organisations that do it well. It's not that they've got a crisis management plan. I reckon, to be honest, if you asked all my clients, they've probably all got one. Mm. Uh, how well read is it? Probably not very. Yeah. Uh, and, and how well thought through is it in terms of a script for who will do what following an incident? Probably a very small proportion to be okay. cranked. So that's the opportunity, I reckon, is, yeah. is to do that extra stuff. And what um, you mentioned about the teams that come together, they're, and they're pretty stock standard, the teams that we're talking about there. How often do you get engaged, or how, or when is the part when you'll find that the legal advice will be engaged? Is it often a bit too late, or is it? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, I'm a lawyer, right? So I'm, I'm telling you, every, every time you have a minor <laughs> problem, telephone a lawyer, it's critically important. Uh, I, I, I'm not actually. I reckon there's. Um, Businesses that do well have a sense of materiality when things go wrong uh, and, and, and they know when to put in the phone call to get us to help. There's a few kind of complexities about, or, or benefits, I suppose, I would say, about calling a, a lawyer. It may well be that, that you get absolute certainty as to what you have to do yep. for external stakeholders, regulatory notification that you yep. spoke about. But also it might help scope up how you're going to figure out what happened, how, you, how you're going to investigate it. Yeah. Um, and organisations that have been through that journey before often often put in a call to us to, to ask those sorts of questions. What do we have to do? Who do we have to tell about this? And, you know, in the Australian context, in all states and territories, you've got a compulsory reporting obligation when things go wrong Yeah. in a, in a workplace health and safety sense. And getting that right is critical. You get it wrong, it's a crime, so it's worth getting it right. Um, that's baseline. I reckon businesses that add value or seek value from us on top of that say... How do we go about investigating this? What's in scope? What's out of scope? How much of this investigation should, should you prepare for us? So it's, it's a subject of legal privilege. How much should we be doing externally? So your question was, did, did organisations always call early? Not, not all of them, but to be honest, those who've been through it a few times, have us on, have us on speed dial. Yep. I'll when, tell you what, our accidents always happen at the juncture of four maps in the rain yeah. on a Friday night. They do. Uh, <laughs> there is no, there is no uh, middle, of a, of There's no middle yeah. of a Wednesday accident, let me tell you. That. No. They all seem to be at the sort of one end of a week or another. Or, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And with those sort of, uh, so breaking that down, so when you do get a call, yeah. what's generally the first piece of advice that they're generally seeking from you? Is it around legal professional privilege or yeah. is it more... Um, generic sort of advice or general advice. Sorry, yeah, no, that, that's right. Yeah, so I reckon it's all of that. Uh, it's it's. Do, will you help us figure out what we have to do in terms of investigating this? Should the investigation be the subject of privilege? We'll talk about that as we go through, I'm sure. Mm. Um, do we have to notify the regulator, etc.? Yeah. Uh, what's the first advice I give them is, uh, you're right. You know, a, a conversation with the person who called you, a bit of empathy that this is not what they thought they were going to be dealing with today. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, and, and the second piece of advice I give is, this will... You know, a serious incident. Someone calls. There's been a there's been a death on site. It's a terrible thing, right? That will that will that will fundamentally change the organisation, no, no matter the circumstances. Mm. That's my experience. Um, the advice I give is: this is going to take time. This could take five years before we get this resolved in the, in a legal sense. Before we've been through all the court processes, the coronial inquests, the prosecutions, etc. So give yourself that time today. N- know that you don't need to resolve this problem today. Yeah. And it's so funny, yeah. I'm sure you and, and both of us in our businesses, we deal with people who are action-orientated, solution-orientated. Mm. I want to fix this. Yeah. Get it fixed today. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a seductive thing to think you can just resolve it, but, but you can't. These things take such a long time. They do. The setting the pace early, I think it's part of the advice 
part of what I'm kind of proud of is, is we, we help our clients really understand this, this is a process we can go through, we can coach you through it, the business will survive at the end of it. We will, we will help you, you know, do the things that are important to you. You're going to have to deal with the family of somebody who's, who's died at work. We can help you through all of that. Uh, but it's about the calmness, I think, with which you can you can deliver that sort of service. So I think that's really important to yeah. me anyway. I think that's what we add. Well, I think it's uh, that's that's the difference between, you know, just doing again yourselves or, or being a trusted advisor. Yeah, I suppose. In the process. And I think the challenge often is, again, everyone wants to solve the problem very quickly. Yeah. But there's going to be a new usual. There's not really a business Correct. as usual out of these circumstances. That's right. With the what do you see then is generally the the, the initial sort of challenge points around around the legal advice that sometimes you need to give versus what the the reputational advice or yeah, other sure. sort of components will come into play. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, like I say to you, I, I've been in this for a little while now, not a, not, a, not a huge stretch of time, but even in this short period of time, I've done a decade and a half or so. The speed to market of news uh, is is breathtaking. Yeah. Right? The, the idea that you can pause and control uh, what is said about your business in these sorts of circumstances is, is long gone, long, long gone. Everyone carries a phone in their pocket. You can shoot 4K video of everything that's going on. You know, mm. the, the, the fact of what will happened will we'll get out. So there's no two ways about that. And so I suppose the the early days, you know, legal thinking, probably not, nothing I ever had, but but legal thinking was let's try and clamp down on yeah. information. Right. Let's let's reduce the yeah. uh, the story. Let's let's try and control what happened. And I just think that's ill advised. I don't think you can. What what happened? What someone could have seen, could have observed, could have heard, could have uh, saw the response. All of that is effectively public. Yeah. Uh, and and you've got to treat it like that because it's important to your workforce. Mm. They know what happened, and mm-hmm. they don't get a sense that because you put a phone call into some lawyer, we'll, we'll never know what happened. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really corrosive to safety and to learning and all that sort of things. But there's a balance, right? Um, there are consequences for human beings and for businesses of, of uh, the legal things that can that can be brought to bear after an accident. So you've got to think that through. You've got to have an eye wide open to not increasing that risk, but 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 not thinking that you can pretend the accident never happened. Yeah, it's a real. It's, it's there's a subtlety to that. I think. Yeah, it, well, it translates to people sort of asking questions of me often, and I'm obviously yeah, right. not going to give them any legal advice. Sure, no. Um, but around around document management or control yeah. or, or record keeping in particular, yeah. uh, and then, then in particular communications between mm. individuals that are managing the response with others who are in the field, yeah. you know, is that a common question that you're getting as well? Around? Yeah, absolutely. Look, if we've got a cultural issue in business, probably mm. globally, People belt out emails quicker than they can ever be thought through. The, the speed of thought uh, is slower than the speed of email, in my experience. And so, there's there's any number of things that get spat out of, of you know you know six months after an incident, you look back, how did we respond? What did people do? What was the email trail? And the things people have said are just just you know incorrect. And, yeah. And probably they knew they were incorrect at the time, but yep. people have an emotional response. Want to do something? Mm. So they send an email to a colleague, or a, you know this was. This was an accident waiting to happen. Those sorts of emails, and, and they know that's not true. But but it's it's the emotional response. Now, emotional responses are fine, but emotional responses that hang around in black and white in some barrister's folder six years later, they linger. You know, and suddenly you've got to disprove the thing you said. So your question was, you know, what's the what's the thing that matters? I reckon just a bit of thought about what it is we are writing down. Yeah. In, in a crisis, but but just generally, it, it, you know, any, any lawyer will tell you. Uh, the, the process now of doing a discovery, producing documents, you know, there's a big court case, you've got to produce all the documents that are relevant. 
the sort of things that people have committed to email is will make you blush, you know, yeah. and, and often regretted, often not true, but the rush to type out a response. So anyway, so, so your question, crisis management, what matters? I reckon just a bit of thought, a bit of slowing the pace down yeah. and a bit of control about just being a bit thoughtful about what you write down. doesn't hurt Australia. doesn't hurt at no. all. I think um, I, so I heard an analogy there a while back about, you know, what does the paramedic do when they're turning up to a scene? And the first thing you see them, they, they don't run. Um, and what they do before they start going in and treating a patient is they put their gloves on. Mm. You know, so they take a moment to pause before they start to act, yeah, right. which gives them a, th- a chance to think about yeah. what the problem is here, what the solutions need to be, and what other support may be required. So yeah, right. it's a really good analogy it's for the D in Doctor ABC. Yeah, it? <laughs> it is. I, yeah. I remember those mnemonics. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I think, and they've certainly changed over time as well. But as I found out recently, but um, <laughs> but w- when you when you have that. Um, that initial compulsion, where have you seen things really go wrong from that initial? So I, I suppose a question would be here, um, incident notifications, they yeah, need to sure. go to regulators. Yeah, that's right. Um, are often a form. Yeah. And people love filling forms out. Don't they just? And they'll yeah. fill it out to the oh, nth yeah. degree. Yeah, correct. <laughs> is, is those so one of the first catch points that you see where people can get into trouble? Yep. So my, my model, for what it's worth, of, of crisis management is... Um, to try and chunk out the things that matter. And, and, and my advice to clients is there are things that you have to do. Yeah. Step one, what do you have to do? Two, what might you, you choose to do? And then three, well, how are you going to survive? What's the longer term thing? So, so if those are the three models, what do you have to do? What might you choose to do? How are you going to survive and thrive? Step one is what do you have to do? And often that means who do you have to tell under your contracts? Uh, who do you have to tell who's an external party, who's a stakeholder? Uh, what do you have to tell your people? Uh, how you manage your media inquiries. Those are all things that are thrust upon you. They're external to your organisation. You, you've got to deal with them. Uh, the first one, incident notification. So there's a positive obligation, legal advice here. You know, at law, if a certain category of incident happens, you're obliged to immediately tell the regulator. Yeah. Um, by telephone, typically. And then you write, you follow up. 24 hours later or 48 hours later with a written form. And those forms, you know, there's, there's a little spot. It's about three lines long, a little pro forma PDF, just describe the incident. And you'd be amazed how many people can add in uh, 12 or 15 legal admissions of error into that short document, you know. Untrained apprentice was on a broken ladder, climbing a roof unsecured, in circumstances where they should have known better, and this is like an accident we had last week, and wouldn't you believe this happened as well? And it's just funny, right? We've got this desire to cram uh, knowledge into, into a document. Into but in truth, all at law, all that's required is, you know, we had a, we had a fall from heights, uh, full stop. Yes. But, but it's funny, people extrapolate that out. Um, yeah. And... When that happens, what sort of issues does that create straight away for the organisation? Well, if, if you take the principle that, that fundamentally the truth of the incident will out, yeah. the, the regulators are very, very well powered to get to the bottom of what happened. So mm-hmm. we shouldn't doubt in Australia that the fundamental truth of what happened in, in any workplace incident will, will see the light of day, and rightly so, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but if you, if you set the tone of an investigation off on the wrong foot, uh, you just make life difficult. You know, if you if you are setting a, a, a often a furphy, you know, setting something that's an incorrect kind of steer in these documents about what the fundamental issue would be, you just end up fighting two fires. You know, you've you've got the, the, the substantive matter you've got to resolve, but then you've created this this uh, you know t- tangent which might be irrelevant to the incident. So uh, the regulators don't particularly thank you for that either, I would imagine. But for you internally, you're just wasting resources on things which are broaden the scope of what you've got to deal with rather than narrow. Oh, look, and reputationally, it just takes up effort again to, to deal with those yeah. issues that are created from it. So, 
I couldn't agree more. I think it's a real challenge for them early days, especially when they're speculating about yeah, what's happened. That's, that's right. So what's the best way then to ensure that you're putting a right process around investigating and getting to the bottom of what yeah, happened? Right. Well, I mean, on that notification thing, the best thing to do is, is to comply with the law, immediately notify, make sure the regulator's there, make yep. sure you don't disturb the scene. An investigator from a safe worker from work safe is going to come and take photos and so on. It's, it's amazing what a... These investigators are human beings, right? And they're passionate about safety and they're, they're passionate about doing their job. And if you haven't notified immediately, it's taken three or four hours, or it looks like the scene doesn't quite look like how it would have looked after the incident. And these things happen in good, big organisations. You know, people don't know these obligations. Mm. Uh, if that's what looks like's happened, this, this person who's coming to investigate you immediately thinks you're hiding something, yeah. immediately suspicious. And you might disprove them over a period of time, build some trust that you're being open and so on. But it's such a terrible way to start a to start yeah. a process. So, you know, starting point, get get that right. And people should know, particularly in sort of federated businesses where a manager of a particular site has the job of recording all this stuff. It's not someone in central head office, it's someone who's in charge of a depot out in out in you know, a regional centre. They should know this law. They should be trained on it, you know. Mm. But your question was bigger than that, I think. You were asking about scoping and investigations. Yeah, that too. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's too, it covers both. Yeah, well, that's really that's really important. Good practice, I reckon, is you need clarity about what happened in a factual sense. And so there's an element of the truth, the facts of what happened, that you should just get to the bottom of as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. And probably that's not part of a, an investigation that your lawyers might ask for. That's just what the business needs. To, to answer the question from a co-worker, yeah. am I safe to go to work tomorrow? Yes, exactly. Or yeah. is there a major learning? Or, to, or just to, to answer the question, if someone knocks on the door, what happened? Mm-hmm. So you might call that a factual investigation. Yeah. But, it, but increasingly, there's all sorts of questions that are, that are genuinely legal questions. You know, who, who had contractual responsibility for this thing? Uh, does this look like an incident we've had three times in the past? And what was the outcome of those incidents? Uh, is this a broader issue that speaks to something which is sort of a, a non-compliance with an industry standard? How do we measure up? Those are all kind of genuine legal questions. And so it might well be that your legal team commissioned that investigation. Yeah, okay. N- narrow scope, not tell us everything about the incident, but a narrower set of a narrow set of questions. And then the the difficulty on the factual versus the the, the time pressure that exists with those. So yeah. the few that we've been involved in, um, an example was an elevated work platform um, fatality underground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the organisation took the approach of pausing operations or stopping operations sure. across multiple sites. Yeah. Uh, but it actually had a potential to affect a lot more. Yeah. Um, in order for them to restart, they had to go through full technical assurance checks and sure. those sort of things in order to make that happen. Yeah. So is there some of these things where there is a potential to create a further rod for your own back that you... Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. Um, so, you know, headline point, do whatever's right. Yeah. Do whatever's right. Um but I, I had a, a client who had a fatality of a, a crane driver. He's at the top of a tower crane uh, and, he, and he falls. He's found you know, d- down below and it's a horrible thing. It's a, t- a terrible thing for the business. And the business's immediate response was, right, it was a major constructor. And it mm. said, well, we're going we're to shut down all of our sites. We're going to stop using tower cranes. We've had a full engineering assessment. Um, and, and, and they didn't do that. We had a chat about that. And we said, well, really, let's just let's give ourselves a day. Let's, let's all go home for the day. Mark of respect for this poor guy who's died anyway. Yeah. Um, and the true circumstances of that incident, I, I don't think, were to do with the workplace at all. Mm. Uh, that, that arose as a result of a range of other factors which the business couldn't, couldn't fix. Nothing yeah. to do with the crane, yep. nothing to do with the guy's training, other issues at play outside of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if that business had said we're stopping uh, all operations until we do a reassessment, get to the bottom of this, change whatever happened here before we do that, if that was the sort of the first words that tumbled out of their mouth, they would have been months and months offline. Yeah, for, for, for no real merit, for no safety merit. Understood. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a need to be respectful, to pause operations, make sure you don't hurt someone tomorrow for the same thing you're doing today. But you've got to be really careful how you phrase that. Yeah. So how can you do that, uh, you know, A, safely and yep. B, you know, managing the reputational impacts? Have you seen some really good ways that people have done that to, yeah. to hand, handle those sort of delicate yeah, decision it's, points? It's, it's, it's really subtle. And, and P.S., it might not be entirely your decision. There are, there are other stakeholders, right? There are, yes. there are industry body unions who, who will have a view on this. There'll be mm-hmm. regulators who've got a view and so on. So you've got to synthesise all that. This is part of the art. It's part of the process. Crisis, yeah. crisis yeah. response. Yeah, yeah. But if you're able to say, look, on an interim basis, we're stopping this until we need to work out what we need to do to get back to work, uh, that, that, is a, that is a form of words that probably most accurately describes what you intend on doing. If you say, we're never going to do this work again until we get to the bottom of it, we make sure it can't happen again, mm. you're being very rigid. You're setting a very rigid tone uh, for, for what restart's going to look like. And you might find yourself six months later with a restart committee that doesn't know what it needs to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've had a massive business impact. And again, headline point for me, and I'm a defence lawyer, but, but he's always do whatever's right, whatever's safe. But you can make a rod for your own back. And it's all out of good intention. Mm. You know, people use these bold words in a media statement. We promise we will not. Uh, and if you, if you set yourself that, that, that standard, it might be impossible. You know? how, how much of what's written in the safety management system or the safety cases for work is, is really locking an organisation into a, a, you know, a specific response or a specific yeah. expectation? Oh, a lot of them, rigid mm. days. You know, we will, have, we will have a final investigation report in 14 days. <laughs> you might not have it in 12 years. You, 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 you just, well, you probably do better than that. But, but <laughs> you, who knows? Who genuinely knows? But there's this, there's this desire for rigidity. And, yeah. Um, I think strong advice I give lots of my clients is to say, all those sorts of procedures and stuff, have a sentence in there that says, at any time... The CEO can suspend this procedure. Uh, and, and that gives you an out, right? You can set your standard for your 80-20. The yeah. 80 should look like this. Yeah. But there will be some of the 20s, and, and you should have that flexibility built in. But most of them don't, I've got to tell you. No, no. Well, we, we were involved in the Sundance air crash, and um, at the time, I think George Jones made a statement that they had a travel policy and they had all these sort of things in place, but as it turned yeah. out, they didn't. Yeah, right. You know, so it was a policy that the board wouldn't travel together on a plane. Yeah, right. Um, and they had to go back and redact that statement in the yeah, media at the yeah, time. That's right. So it does really create issues for you. Oh, there's, and those simple statements, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a, a case study for all seasons, but the dream world process that happened after that where there was an assertion that someone had spoken to a family member and they hadn't, and mm. they just don't own goals, right? But I'm entirely empathetic because, like I say, I don't think people are properly prepared for what this looks and feels no. like. No. But... But a sounding board, someone like you, someone like us, who's seen it before, I just think there's such value in that, uh, just being a coach. Yeah, well, that's certainly the role that you end up fulfilling a lot yeah, of the time is, right. is less about the technical components mm. and more about the process and how it can, you know, the next steps, what's going to happen in the playbook. So yeah, yeah, that's right. With, with, uh, with that in mind, the, the, the notification process we're talking about from the regulatory point of view, yeah. um, um, and you mentioned a great process, of, you know, the things that you have to and you choose to and... Um, what was the last one? The things about surviving yeah. and, th- and thriving. What's your, what's your learning from all Which, of how, how do you manage the, the difficulty between understanding what the problem is and yeah. dealing with what the problem is 
whilst at the same time having to handle that communications process, uh, you know, quite openly yeah. um, and often yeah. under time pressure. Yeah. So have you found those sort of advisory pieces for you? You need to get comfortable with saying that you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and it's tough, right? Because yeah. um, you, you, you deal with people who are, who are uh, who own their business, who, who run their business, who, or who own it in a, you know, an executive management sense. There's nothing that happens in their organisation they don't know. They know how they got there. You know, they, they have a successful contract. They know the hard work that's gone into it. They have a downturn in their market. They know their market. So that uh, there is a desire to be definitive. And the truth is, on the day of something unexpected, you can't possibly be. And so getting comfortable with admitting you don't know and you're looking into it, you know, it's really important. Yeah. Um, there's traps for young players, though, right? You, you, you uh, publish a media statement that says we're looking into it and we will share the results of our findings with everybody uh, who possibly asks for it. Uh, will you? Is that what you're doing? Uh, and, and often organisations aren't. You know, often organisations need to reflect internally on what, what has happened and learn internally and change systems internally without necessarily airing uh, what has happened completely externally. But it's so funny, right? It rolls off the tongue. It does. We will investigate. We will share the results of this investigation. And then someone's got to walk it back. Yeah. You know, and that's the difficult thing. So. How important is it that advisory point there when they're oh, sorry when you're giving advice to an organisation about that statement that they're making? Yeah, sure. Uh, how is important important is it that you're part of that you know, those checks before they do commit to yeah, these? Yeah, well, I, I would say pretty important, um, uh, but I suppose I would say that. But I, I think there's a real chance to kick an own goal in that in that process of just yeah. amping up expectations about what's going to happen next. Uh, if you if you've elected to investigate part of the incident for legal purposes, and so it's a privileged investigation. If you promise the world they're going to see it, the world's going to ask for it, mm. uh, and then you have a then you have a battle, then you have a choice to make: Do I give up on this privilege? Do I not? And there's a there's a conundrum with all of that. So getting the tone of that that communication right is really important. The other component that you said before is about you, what you need to learn immediately, really yeah. or factually, to to sure. recommence yeah. or otherwise. Um, uh, how do you balance that? Again, the advice around um, you know communicating the outcomes of that to yeah, sure. your workforce, and particularly you probably want to get back yeah, that's right. into work versus any pri- any privilege elements around yeah. that information. Uh, it's it's really deft that that question, um, and there's, there comes a point uh, to be brutally frank where a business chooses risk, and it chooses either the risk of uh, airing its dirty laundry by releasing information that might be in a privilege report versus the risk to its people. Uh, so you're weighing up legal risk versus safety, safety and reputational risk, and, and my advice is always safety should win. You know, yeah. we will sort out the legal consequences. But if you've done an investigation, you've learned something critical that you need to share with your business. Even if that investigation is privileged, just just get on and share it. Yeah. And the business will, will manage the consequences of waiving that privilege. Uh, clever lawyers might find a way of of managing both. And that, that might be an option too. Um, but but fundamentally, there's a there's a risk element to this, and you mm. choose your risk. And if the risk is we're going to keep exposing our people to harm, no good organisation does that. Not, not all the clients I've ever had the privilege of working for. So you make a balancing act and you yeah. make a call. Yeah. I think it's great advice because, yeah, the, the, like you said, there's a desire to either close down completely in which, in which case you, you're effectively closing down shop, yeah. really. But uh, it's a risk-based discussion. Yeah. How do you give that advice then? So I'll put it on you now. So yeah. you're in that situation. You've what are the, How do you present that to, sort of risk-based approach to a client? Well, you say, well, what's, let's just go through and do a bit of a values mapping exercise. What, what matters to us? Yeah. You know, what matters to us is keeping the faith of our of our people, keep keeping the, them safe at work, learning from this incident, making sure 
I'm not criticised for pretending to hide it. But can I say this, just editorial comment, I guess, that's easy if you're just dealing with corporate risk. <laughs> the problem is, and, and the problem might not be the right word, but the problem is there's an amping up of personal accountability, right? We are, we're sat here in Melbourne, in Victoria, but we're going through a process where our government was introducing industrial manslaughter. Yes. Yeah. They say it's critical, right? People are going to go to jail. Kill a worker, go to jail. That's what their poster says, right? Mm. And that might be right in some circumstances. There might be people out there who are today committing manslaughter. And if there are, they should go to jail. And I would say there's already a manslaughter law and they should be prosecuted under that. But that's a separate kind of debate. But it's this, it's this um, amping up of, of a desire to bring a human being to account for what might be an organisational failing, mm. which might be right in some circumstances, but as often as not, is, is not right. That is, that is what skews that risk discussion. It does. Because yeah. a business might elect, as you know, some of our large mining clients do, we won't do any investigations as subject of legal privilege. That's a choice we make. We don't, we're not concerned about the legal risk. We just want to know what happened and get back to work. So that's fine. Um, but but if, if you're in a, a context where your risk is corporate risk, then you can make a corporate decision. We'll mm. expose ourselves, ABC Mining Company, to, to that risk. But if you're also exposing the person who's your, a, a senior side executive to yeah. that risk as well yeah. by making sure that every word that gets written down about the incident uh, might have legal consequences, gets shared with the, with the world, that's not a risk that that person's necessarily signed up to. So there's a conundrum here. There's a, there's a tension, to be frank. Yes. Yeah. The, the community, rightly, says some 18-year-old some dies on a scaffolding accident uh, there is a desire for vengeance mm. in the community, mm. for companies and for individuals. The fines aren't big enough for companies. Uh, individuals aren't going to jail. We want more. So that's 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 one end of the ledger. But the other end of the ledger is, well, how, how do you genuinely learn from incidents? How do you share yeah. yep. knowledge across industry? Yeah. How is it we get the story out of what happened here in a no-holds-barred sort of way? Um, if we have a Tullamarine Airport, a Boeing goes straight into the runway and blows up, there will be a no-fault investigation. Straight away. Right? Yeah. ATSB, we'll yep. say, we want to get to the bottom of this, we want to make sure there's a, there's a thousand planes in the air as we speak, we want to make sure another crash, get to the bottom, we're not bothered by blame. We just want to learn. Oh, and I'm fascinated by that because one of the guys I interviewed earlier, he was talking about an a, a in-air incident that nearly happened with them. Yeah. They, he was as, with the Navy at the time yeah, flying, right. for, flying for the RAF. Um, they shared that information globally yeah. to every other yeah. military as well. That's right. So that industry Correct. approach is completely different to everyone else. Yeah, but, that's, that's right. But so this, in this case here, please go on, sorry. No, no. But, no but I totally agree with this. So that, that's, that's one potential benefit. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there are two ends of a spectrum, right? And, and we are edging ourselves, skewing ourselves to the other end of the spectrum, which is about vengeance and punishment and consequence. And you can't say those things aren't important, mm. but there's a question, how do, how do you share this? Now... It may well be my view is skewed. Right? For big companies, big companies want to learn from these accidents. They want to share information. They make choices about privilege and so on. And I suppose there's lots of businesses that are not like that. Smaller businesses that are probably just running on the smell of an oily rag and they need a reminder, yeah. your number one priority should be the bloke you're setting up on the roof <laughs> without poor protection. So fair enough. Maybe, maybe you need to spend a bit of time at that end of the spectrum. Punishment, vengeance, consequence. Uh, but, but is it good for safety in a whole of economy point of view? Possibly not. Mm. Um, so all of that, your question was about how do, you, how do you make a decision about what you release, what you don't, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's increasingly complex. Boards, you know, famous Australians who sit on boards of, of listed companies um, are, are passionate about the safety of their people 
but equally concerned is that every time they open a, an Australian company director's magazine, they're told they're all going to jail for safety. Yeah. So how do we how do we kind of we've got to grapple with that as a community, you know, about, about what that distinction is. I think the challenge now too is the, the social media and as we were talking about before, the twenty four yeah. hour media yeah. cycle now is really baying for that blood when mm. these incidents do happen. So I can understand why. Mm. Why people are so concerned about it? That's right. What it's does best, I suppose, answer your question. So, what you're supposed to do about it as advisors, you and I, isn't it great if you've got a principled position before the heat, the the the, the pulsing of blood in your ears of mm. the of the crisis situation? What if you've thought this through and you've got a principled position? Those are businesses that, that do it well. I yeah. reckon. You know. Yeah. They know how to do a factual report. They know how to do a scope of a let's call it a causal report or a report which goes into you know legal issues. Whose fault was it? Whose contract was it? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If you've done all that before the day of crisis, all the better. Rolling into you know an incident happening, the the, the teams being engaged. Yep. Um, how important is it to have um, legal representation at the different levels of the response? Yeah, pretty pretty important. Um, but to be honest, I mean, our lived experience. What happens? My my phone rings. Like I say, all hours of the day, a client calls that they've had a terrible thing happen. Um, we often go out on site, yeah, because uh, there's, there's a thing you can do on the phone, but mm-hmm. as often as not, my, my perspective on what the clients really want from us is a, is, a, is a coach and someone to share the experience with, the better experience of what this is, because in in a courtroom in four years' time, they don't want someone who's read about this incident in in the paperwork because it won't give life to what it was really like and, and, and how how the business responded and what it had done to try and prevent and the nuance of what happened, and so there's nothing in my view in terms of delivering our service in a way that, that I think adds more value than just being a lawyer, you've got to get out there yeah. and help them through it yeah. and navigate through it. You know, regulators turn up, inspectors turn up, investigators, and, and they want a witness statement for everyone who was there on the night. Now, fair enough, that's their job, and they should get a witness statement, and often the law says they can, but do they need to do it that night? Uh, probably not, right? But if, if a client, one of my corporate clients, has never been through this before, they won't know that they can ask. Mm. <laughs> Would you mind? We yeah. need to look after this this man or woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, she or he need to go home tonight, back to their family, and then we'll come back tomorrow and we'll regroup and we'll facilitate this interview. So if you've done it before, you've had a few, you know, you've, you've had a few cycles of this, difficult, macabre as it might be, then at least you know how you can add some value. And that's, yeah. That's sort of what you know. That's our, that's the Freehills model, I think. And with um and with that model in mind, then too, then so what are the things that they're looking for that you also need to, you know, be advising and, and be on yeah. lookout for? Well, often the thing that, that I'm increasingly again back to our earlier discussion about boards and executives and so on, getting that internal reporting right, yeah. giving a giving a sense of comfort up the, up the chain that we are onto this, we are thinking this through, we are doing the right thing. Um, I had a client last week who had a had an electrical incident. And the CEO was out on site. Uh, was out, stood next to the pit where the incident had happened. He wanted to see what had happened. Oh, I think I heard that in the news, actually. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few yeah. others. And, and that's, yeah. that gives a high degree of comfort across the organisation that this matters, that yeah. we're going to deal with this properly. You might imagine boards find that you know, comforting that their CEO is doing that sort of stuff. So that, getting, getting that stuff thought through, mm. what, is the, uh, what is the way of uh, demonstrating how seriously we're taking this? Yeah. And what is the way of giving comfort for those who report to you and for those you report to, uh, that's not front of mind, right? That's in, in your amygdala and survival response. You, you're not thinking through um, the nuances of, of organisational responsibility and accountability. So I think that's part of what we do too, thinking that through, th- thinking through who's involved, who should be involved, 
what, what are the messages? What are the cues that we're giving? When is it right or when is it not right to apologise? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. It's a great question. Um, can I say this? If, you, if I say to you, I bump into you in the corridor, I say sorry. I'm no more responsible in the legal sense before saying sorry than I was after it. Mm. And, and in most states and territories, there's legislation to that effect, that an apology is not to be taken as a legal admission of fault. Um, and it's so hard, right, saying sorry. It's such a difficult thing to say. Uh, but, but often organisations are very sorry they find themselves in this situation, even if they've done nothing wrong. Mm. They're extremely you know, apologetic and remorseful that someone's been hurt, someone's been killed, someone's you know, wife or husband has been maimed at work. They're, they're, they're extremely regretful and, and sorry about that. Uh, it doesn't mean that they think they've done the wrong thing. Uh, so when is it right, when is it wrong, uh, that you should use whatever words feel right. Yeah. If, if you're making a, a formal company statement that says uh, we're sorry, be careful what you're sorry for. If you're sorry for the accident or the, or the consequences, that's quite different than we're sorry we weren't paying attention to safety. That's got a bit more weight to it, right? Yes, uh, yeah, of course. And often they wouldn't say that anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm quite calm about that word. Yeah, to be honest, in my, in my experience, that's really refreshing, mate. There's a few other things crop up. You know, a family member might call up and say, you know, my my dad was was hurt at work. He's back home now, but I want to understand what happened. I want to come and see the see the workplace. Or yeah. my, my husband was killed at work. My wife was killed. Um, what would you want in that situation? You'd want empathy. You'd want yeah. you know, a human a human touch. Uh, and what does it hurt? What does it hurt for somebody to come and see the scene of where something terrible happened to a member of their family? Um, but, but you know, if you were a no-holds-barred lawyer, you'd probably say, don't let them anywhere near the site. You know, make sure that they're not, they could be taking photos. Who knows what they're doing? But, but in the sweep of uh, a corporation's life, those are moments where you can actually make a difference to someone. Very much. You know? uh, yeah. And so um, I'm probably a bit more... Uh, on the human side than perhaps the legal. So it's a terrible thing for a lawyer to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're letting down the team. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let this get out to the team. I'll keep this one quiet. A few more questions, if I may, anyway. Yeah, so, um, look, the, the thing I've been asking for, for people that are in this sort of profession and, yeah. and in the sort of work that we do is... Yeah. You know, if there's one sort of piece of advice you could give as the last bit of advice you could give to a client, yeah, what right. would it be? Uh, it would be, look, um, so the day of something going terribly wrong at work, um, you, you, you will get through this, hmm. uh, the organisation will, will survive. You, you might learn from this and there might be a positive that comes out of it. And there are some terrible, terrible things which are negatives which are coming out of it which we've got to manage. But all this is going to take time. It's going to take a long, a long period of time. Um, and I think that's really... That is my experience talking. I've seen it. I know how long it takes. I tell it to my team. You know, when you're advising clients, give them that sense of pace. Let them build some time so they can make good decisions, not rush decisions. That's my that's my kind of num- number one piece. But I, as I've done this over the years, I, I've learned as well. I think I said this before, but but businesses are not the same. It affects people's careers and organisations. It plainly affects co-workers of someone who they've seen get hurt and so on. And you just need to be alive to that, I think, that mm. this will... Whatever we do from a you know a legal point of view or a risk or a safety or an executive point of view, there's something happening that's intangible as a result of this, and the, the business won't be the same. No, and you right. need to you need to embrace that. There's probably an opportunity in that as much as a risk. You know, what, what, how are we going to be different? What are we going to take from this? Mm. Um, yeah, that's I've, that's only occurred to me recently as I've kind of reflected back on businesses that have been through this thing. Sat around a board table with you know someone who's had a, a member of the public killed. As a result of something that, that that business was connected with, 
Um, and you know, directors, they've got kids as well. Yeah. You know, they, they, they have a human response as well as all the lawyer stuff. Um, and it changes. I think it changes them. So being alive to that, I reckon. It's hard, right? Because you're in the midst Very. of crisis response. But just saying, well, where are we going to be at the end of this and what do we want to be? Yeah, I think uh, the, the uh, friend who I just interviewed earlier on was one whom, whom we've had on a number of incidents yeah. who supports his, his guy by the name of Josh Hawes from uh, Critical Components, he's a psychologist. Yeah, so ex-SAS psychologist yeah. um, an army psychologist and then now in, in business. Um, he, he's very firm on that, that welfare recovery yeah. plan yeah. and yeah. making sure that's actually baked into the yeah, solution post an incident. That's right. um, but equally, I think your point before was, was brilliant about the empathy mm. at the start. Yeah. And these are fundamentally human things that people are going through and Correct. people are managing through yep. as well as responding to. So yeah. your point was well noted there about the empathy side of the fence. Yeah. And you can amp up the risk. Um, yeah, lawyers can come and tell you this is the most important thing. They'll have in your business. You've got to get it right. And da, da, da. A serious safety incident, catastrophic safety incident, is probably not the most important thing that's ever going to happen to an organisation. Right? Mm. Things will come and things will go. And, and so... If you, if you approach it with that sense of drama, which sometimes advisors in our fields, probably both of our fields, bring... They do. Yeah. Um, then, then I think you're doing your client a disservice because you've got to have a sense of perspective, I think. Absolutely. We will get through this. The business will survive. It'll be changed, as I just said. But, you know, I think that perspective is really important. I think it being just that awareness uh, around that, that pragmatic approach and then also having, you know, a, an acknowledgement that this is going to be a new usual yeah, versus yeah, just right. the business as usual I think Correct. it's an important step yeah I reckon that's right what are, what are the other people you ask that question say what are the things that stuck out to you oh look the the, the about the advice that they yeah, would give that's the number one thing um, well Josh was very similar to your advice yeah right yeah, yeah. and about taking that step back and, yeah. and having a pragmatic approach he talks about a concentric, uh, concentric circles yeah right uh, specifically for who's been involved at the immediate yeah, incident right. scene um, who's around those for first responders? What yeah, debriefing right. process you need to put in place for those? Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I've had um, many that have been. Maybe it's the choice of audience. One of the things that struck me, I, I did some work for an emergency services business down, down here in Victoria, and they were dealing with a crisis. No one had died, but it's this big business changing model thing. Uh, 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 a, a contamination event meant they had to kind of change their fleet. Major, major thing for them. And they're in a crisis meeting once a week. Da, da, da. Mm. And what struck me is the first five minutes of that. These are these are people who deal with real emergencies, right? Every Fires, day, yeah. day, day in day out. That's all they deal with. And and the first five minutes of the meeting, that they spoke about the welfare of the crisis management team in a way that was really dishonest and really not like how you all going right back to business. It was how are you going? Is everyone getting enough rest? We, we need you to manage your fatigue as much as we do anyone else. Yeah. Have you got a Have you got a, a double who can step in for you if you need to? When you go home tonight, who's going to look after you? It was just it was really honest and refreshing, and it just struck me. People who deal with crises day in day out get into a rhythm of remembering uh, you, you've got to manage the pace. You know, yeah. You can't, it's not. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Oh look, we've, I was speaking. Interesting. I spoke to another um, former client the other day up in Queensland. They've had a, a long drawn out incident that they've yeah, been right. dealing with. Um, and so they've been essentially, they were essentially going for 24 hours yeah. for, for six months um, and, and rotating teams through to maintain that sort yeah. of uh, response. So yeah. um, a very technical and a very difficult scenario. Yeah. Um, no, one at, uh, no one in risk at the start, but no. those people potentially re-entering risk to yeah, restart. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah that, that people 
aspect, the impact on people, I think yeah. it's often yeah. missed. That, that, that 24-hour sense. Yeah. But it's funny, we, we do crisis management scenarios for clients, and my, my bag is plainly health and safety and physical risk and so on. But a lot of the crises now are about data loss, privacy yeah. issues, yeah. Uh, you know, a reputational things that are outside of your control. In a 24-hour day, they're not going to turn off. So you, no. you need that longevity to, to your response. Oh, especially with uh, a lot of the globals, no doubt, that you're yeah, dealing with and right. collectively we're dealing with. So yeah. last bit of it, last question I do ask sure. is if there was one person out there that's been through a crisis or led through a crisis that you could sit down and, and have a coffee with or have a chat with, who would that be? Yeah, right. Well, you'd have to go Winston Churchill, wouldn't you? I've heard him a few times. Yeah, and, I, and only because he's... Um, his direct double, Boris Johnson, is so prominent in the news at the moment. But uh, 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 you, you would just have to... There's somebody who said about the courage of leadership in a crisis, right? And, and But more than that, about the, the capacity to bring people along with you. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose those sorts of political leaders, they're, they're the ones who sort of spring to mind. But it's people who, who can kind of um, uh, see a strategy in crisis, who can see an opportunity in crisis... Uh, those are those are pretty impressive people, and they're few and far between. But you do see them in um, you do see them in leadership, yeah. In, in you know corporates, they are they are very impressive. You're right, and it's uh, it's been really impressive listening to your advice today. Oh, so right. so much, I really mate. appreciate you taking the time no, thanks to, for reaching out. to ch- uh, chat with us on crisis talks, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch in the future. Anyway. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening in too. That concludes episode 15 of Crisis Talks. In next week's episode of Crisis Talks, we go back 20 years to the East Timor intervention, speaking with Major General Chris Field, who was then the OPSO of the 2nd Battalion when we deployed to East Timor. We talk about what goes into a preparation for a major deployment, his experiences working with the Queensland Reconstruction Authority post the 2011 floods and more recently in 2017 post-cyclone, and what his role entails now as the leader of Australian Forces Command. Mm -hmm.